In this week's Planet Korea, we return to our occasional series on Korean urbanism with Colin Marshall. Colin is the local blogger for the Los Angeles Review of Books, and he is a very prolific podcaster, writer, blogger, commentator on the topic of urban life in cities around the world. As you might expect, he is also a voracious reader, and he consumes just about every book he can find when it comes to urban life, particularly here in Seoul. And he's here to introduce us to some required reading on urbanism here in the capital city. Hi, Colin. Hi, Kurt. How's things? Doing any good reading lately? Doing a lot of good reading, as much as I possibly can. And as you say, much of it about cities, because mm. cities is a subject that connects other subjects. You can talk about food, you can talk about architecture, of course, you can talk yeah. about all forms of life, about culture, film, many of the things we've talked about on this segment. It's the platform from which all other things can be sort of stacked. Are you a more intense reader in any particular season of the year, or do you just read consistently all the time? Well, in the winter, you want to stay inside. Yeah. In the summer, you also want to stay inside. In Seoul. I mean, this is the Seoul weather. You want to go where the climate is controlled. That's it. That's where you get your reading done, yeah. I suspect. It's these two seasons that it's I read. It's these two seasons. Yeah. You know, because I always get spring fever and fall fever, and I'm running around doing stuff. But in the seasons when you want to sit still, I tend to get my books read. And we're about to enter the real scorcher in just a few weeks or months. So, we've got some selections on Colin's bookshelf on how to better appreciate the nuances of Seoul. Where should we start? Well, thinking about this question of books to read on Seoul, it's a challenge because this is an English language show, of course. We want to talk about English language books for the sure, most part. Right. And you know, you've been to London, right? Mm-hmm. You go to London, go to a bookstore. It's not just a shelf of books on London. It's a wing. It's a wing. It might be, it might be a whole city block yeah. of books on London. And they're all about that block, the yeah. history of that block. Yeah. London is more than a subject, and this is true of New York as well. It's true of uh, Berlin or Paris. There's a lot of literature in these countries, in the languages of these countries, written about these. Tokyo, for example, is another good one. Uh, But Seoul, I find that right now there are many good books coming out in Korean Mm -hmm. examining Seoul. But there's still we're still at the very beginning of the wave, let's say, mm-hmm. of English language books. I just, in fact, blurbed one. Uh, you can tell how small a field it is when they're asking the likes of me to blurb their books. But a publisher of a book called Souls Historic Walks in Sketches got in touch with me. It, this is a book coming out this very month. Mm. It's by a, a writer named, well, it's in English, Jung Hee Lee, but that's Lee Jung Hee in Korean. Mm-hmm. And it is different than other books on Seoul we've seen so far. I mean, you look at you look at Seoul books, you go to shop for books on Seoul in English, what do you get? Guidebooks? Pretty standard yeah. stuff, right? Photos? Right. Sort of, you know, uh, accommodations, decent food, here's a map of the block. Right. If you go, yeah. here's what to take. Yeah. Right. This is not that book. It is about walks you can take through Seoul. There is a historic interest. But the author, Lee Jung-hee, he is a columnist and an artist. He's actually drawing these sketches. He's illustrating his walks through Seoul. And he's using the illustrations as a way to see the city. An aphorist I like once wrote this. He said, let me see if I can remember this correctly. People who say they can't write mean they can't think. People who say they can't draw mean they can't see. That's interesting. Wow. I think, I, I'm as blind as a bat then because <laughs> I can't draw my way out of a paper bag. It happens. It happens. But I think when people approach soul and don't quite understand soul, to an extent, it means they can't really see it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's hard to just... You hear this complaint a lot. I get on the train in Seoul. 
I ride for an hour, I come out, and the, the area I come out in looks exactly like the area I got in. in. Yeah. You, they can't see... They can't tell they one can't neighborhood from another. They can't conceptualize it. They can't yes. frame it, is what you're saying, in their right. mind. They can't see it in their mind's eye. Exactly. So what Yi Zhang-hi has done in this book is he's drawn the city from many different angles, literally, often from a certain green mermaid logoed coffee shop he likes to sit mm-hmm. in and draw it. Mm-hmm. And it's a city he's lived in a long time. He has a personal history with it, which he writes about in essays that accompany the sketches. But it's a book that works on many different levels. Number one, you can just follow the walks. And these are all walks north of the river, all in the most historic areas of Seoul. Sure. And they give you, he gives you information you wouldn't get any other way. You know, the gremlin sitting on top of the roof in Gwanghwamun uh, or in Gyeongbokgung. Both of these areas are covered. You know, what exactly is going on with this iconography? What are these statues? Why is this very strange-looking building next to this strange-looking but differently strange-looking building? He addresses these questions, and he does it with good humor. Mm. So it's good, humorous writing, and as you mentioned, a lot of visuals and a lot of sketches. His own hand-drawn sketches. His own sketches and his own perspective. That's the most important part. Mm. This is not the general book for the traveler. This Uh is his soul. It's Yi Zhang-hi's soul, not just in words, but in sketches, in his perspective. These are not always necessarily completely photorealistic. Some are imaginative. He improves on soul sometimes, or he goes back to how things were before and compares them to today. Has it improved? Has it gone up? Has it gone down? These are the questions he asks himself, kind of a form of urban criticism in art, you might say. It's interesting. This sounds to me like a printed page version of uh, augmented reality, you know? Yes. And, uh, you know, I don't want to get us too far off topic here, but I think that realm of uh, sort of geolocated smartphone technology, augmented reality, and multimedia with a little bit of video and a little bit of um, sound explanation of where you are in real time, and maybe you can hold the phone up and get annotations for the location. It's in the barest infancy of the state of the art. I think there is going to be uh, sound and video scapes in real time using mobile technology that's just going to blow people's minds. This publisher could do well to do a tablet PC version of this book now that I think about it. Exactly. And that's coming, I think. All right. So there's Seoul's Historic Walks in Sketches, Yi Jang-hee. What else you got on your shelf? Another book is one I've referenced before. We talked in studio a few months ago about the branding of Seoul, if you recall. Mm -hmm. It was a segment based on an article I wrote for The Guardian. In that article, I talked about this book, Globalizing Seoul. I drew on this book heavily by an author. I don't know whether she's Korean or not. Jihira Yoon is the English writing of her name. There was no Korean, uh, there's no Hangul version provided, so we'll go with that pronunciation, correct or or incorrect. But Mm -hmm. her book is a slightly more academic book about what it has meant for Seoul to become a global city, to globalize, as the title says, and to become, to turn from what she describes as a hard industrial city to a soft cultural city. So the changing of Seoul's identity, that's what this book is about. It takes certain areas as case studies, like um, in Sadong, mm. the changes there being closed to cars, being made into more of a tourist zone, you might say, or Bukchon Hanok village, uh, mm. the preservation and uh, of the Hanok there and what, what kind of neighborhood has resulted, or the cultural streets in Itaewon bringing in foreign culture or uh, 
is encouraging the presence of foreign culture. These types of projects are what she analyzes. I'm surprised you didn't soul. just type the word "halu" and put a period on, <laughs> and then walk away from the uh, word processor. You know, that's one way of doing it. You know, uh, make it easy. Where do you stand on that whole thing? You know, soul branding as cultural city. Is it all just downstream from Hallyu and K-pop and all this stuff? Um, because you could almost call all the interest in Insadong and Hanuks and uh, Hanboks just sort of a spandrel to mm. the interest in Hallyu. And, and when you look at the Chinese influx and the Southeast Asian influx, it's very easy to draw that superficial conclusion. Yeah, they're here for the K-pop stars, but while they're here, they might as well check out the... Or they're here to buy makeup. You know, while they're here, they'll check out some of the culture. Yes, I mean, is that... for commercial reasons. Is that too cynical? Well, there are different ways to conceive of it. And in all of these books, the urbanists and architects and academics who write them, they're always concerned with the question of top-down improvement of soul versus bottom-up improvement of mm. soul. Certain top-down being government policies, let's make a cultural zone here, bam, it's done. Let's mm-hmm. build a huge attractive project for people to Instagram themselves, bam, it's done. <laughs> you know, Compared to the West, we cer- it's certainly a bam, it's done type speed. Or is it bottom-up? Is it collectives? Is it groups? Is it individuals taking spaces, making them their own, making them culturally attractive in a more grassroots way? Or can these two both happen at once? And can the city be made into a cultural city in both ways at once? We're seeing it happen. I think we're still at the beginning of the process, but it's a big concern among the branders of Seoul. Well, and it's coming from two directions. I would never, ever insinuate that Seoul is not a cool, soft cultural city. Of course it is. Mm. There's amazing things happening. But some of the um, globalized branding can be a little bit neon and plastic. It can be just K-pop and all of that stuff. And I'm trying to fish around for whether there is a global brand for Seoul that doesn't lean so heavily on these uh, sort of plastic uh, aspects of the culture. One does wonder, and the other big question is, does the role of a global city suit Seoul? Is Seoul, is Seoul suited to being a global city, as we know, for example, London and New York uh, to be? Is it? Is it... Is it really made to be a city that the whole world converges in, if you know Mm. what I mean? Yeah, that's what I mean. Is it uh, an assimilative city? Is it a a central artery the way, say, a London, a New York, a Paris might be considered uh, as being, you know? I don't know. The jury's kind of out in my mind, you know. The jury's kind of out. It's a bigger cultural question, too. So many of these books look to Europe or America or other, other faraway lands for examples of urban projects to not necessarily replicate in Seoul, but to draw inspiration from. And the question of you know, how applicable are these examples from the Netherlands or from Germany or from Japan even, uh, can't, are these applicable to Seoul and what it is and the situation it's in and the history it has? The same goes for any idea that's being used in Korea right now. Is it can you just bring stuff in, or are there more considerations that need to be gone through first? The, what is, I mean, we, we did this discussion before, but what is the essence, the DNA of the global brand of Seoul? It's not Hanoks. It's not <laughs> Hanboks. It's not traditional culture. That's color. Right. But uh, is it a, maybe it's an East meets West thing. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, if anything, I'd say it's modernity meets tradition. Uh, mm. But you do find that in other Asian cities, particularly. So the quest goes on for a way to really find Seoul's lasting global brand. And this book, Globalizing Seoul, is a good step towards that sort of intellectual um, exploration. I want to get a copy of it. What else is on the shelf, Colin? 
So there's a book from a book from slightly before Globalizing Seoul called Beyond Seun Sangha: Sixteen Ideas to Go Beyond Big Plans. As you can see, it's quite a large book, quite a lavish production. This is put mm-hmm. out by. If you've heard of Space Magazine, they're a very well-known architectural magazine in Korea, a bilingual magazine, and this is a bilingual book. Uh, Indeed, okay. not just English, but Korean. Very cool. So we're transitioning to the Korean side of the bookshelf. Redundant copy uh, translated in both languages, or do they go back and forth? Everything is in both languages. Okay. There are contributors from all over the world, academics, again, architects, urbanists, all these people. I believe there's a, um, an architect named Kim Sang-woo, who is the lead writer on this project. He's an architect here in Seoul, but there's contributors from all over the place looking at Seun Sangha, which is a place in Seoul or a building, a series of buildings in Seoul that has really got to be the subject of one of these urbanism segments soon. Yeah, we've been talking about it. What, what, what kind of place is it? Seun Sangha is a complex, it's a, a long concrete complex often compared to a series of battleships mm. sailing, uh, sailing through Jongno, uh, Jongno-gu. It's it was built in the late 1960s as an electronics market and as a uh, series of apartments on top, an early example of mixed use in Korea, as you'd call it now. But yes, built out of concrete, uh, built all at once, built by, uh, designed by Kim Sugun, who is... And still what era are we talking about here? Late 60s. Okay. So an era when it was still very much a developmentalist, industrial Ultra-utilitarian. Yes, just take away everything that was there and put down this giant complex you know we're going to be we're going to be modern mid-century yeah. <laughs> style we're going to have electronics we're going to have apartments we're going to have all forms of commerce that could go on will go on there and Seon Sangha I mean pieces have been taken away but it mostly still stands and recently was revitalized. A project has turned it into what's now called Maker City, Seoul. So the older generations of electronics repairmen and uh, my favorite, the sort of the dabang, the dabang culture there, the coffee shops uh, mm. still go on. But now there's a new generation of younger people who are interested in working with electronics, making things, hacking, as they say. Uh, there's also been galleries and bookstores that have opened there. So it's a representative project for the soul of the 21st century, meaning moving from giant projects, top-down projects mm. like Seon Sangha was, to repurposing projects like Seon Sangha. Uh, having individuals and small groups decide what to do with these existing spaces and doing so in a way that, I mean, I'll give you this example. Seon Sangha for a while was under the wrecking ball. It was about to get entirely knocked down. Mm-hmm. I believe around 2009 or so that decision was reversed, but for a while it was going to be just scraped and replaced by a very high-rise project like you maybe would see in China. No different from any of those. Mm. So it's a to use a very popular word in Korea, paradigm shift. Yeah. You can see an urban paradigm shift embodied in Seon Sangha. But we'll talk more about that when we go. When we go. We've yes. got to do a walkthrough. It sounds, I, I haven't seen it yet with my own eyes, but it sounds like these vaguely Soviet-looking concrete <laughs> blocks that are now treated with a pinch of irony, perhaps, or a pinch right. of you know modern urbanism saying, well, we're going to take these boxy buildings and we're going to put uh, cool... Uh, 21st century, you know, fourth industrial revolution yes. ideas into them. We're going to use it differently. And the funny thing is, oh, I don't know if it's so funny, but it is fascinating that I mention contributors to this book, Beyond Seon Sangha. They're from around the world. Many are European, for example. Uh, one, I believe, is Japanese. But I was also writing for an issue of the Architectural Review recently that focused on Korea. Seon Sangha was a big part of it. Foreigners are really interested in Seon Sangha, more so than I think Koreans have been in the past 20, 30 years. This is one of these cases where foreign interest in something in Korea has brought Korean attention back to it. And the Korean yeah. attention has improved it. The Korea, you know, it, this is a project that 
Korean people use, Korean people own. It's it's almost entirely Korean when you go there. But foreign interest has revitalized Korean interest. What an interesting dynamic that is, you know. Mm. Uh, that's, that's something uniquely Korean, that uh, Koreans themselves might tend to undervalue something of their own, and then the world kind of re-instructs, or not re-instructs, but reawakens the Korean interest in it, because um, to, to a foreign community, it is something different and exotic and Korean, and that sort of sparks a fire of interest in, in the, the domestic population. Very it is. Cool. There's some nostalgia factors here, too, as well. I don't know if you know the filmmaker Yu Ha, who's done gangster movies like Gangnam 1970, most recently, or um, A Dirty Carnival before that. Yu Ha is very famous as a filmmaker, but he grew up around Seon Sangha. He's written poetry about Seon Sangha. Uh, the love of a Seon Sangha kid is this collection of poetry about li- uh, growing up around there selling pirated goods. Uh, I'm sort of translating that right now. So this is why it, my mind's always on Seon Sangha in some way. And many other foreigners are, as you can see in this book. Oh, you've got me really wanting to go to that. All right. We'll, we'll get that on the calendar really soon before it gets too oppressively hot <laughs> to take a walk through there. Kim Sung-woo, Beyond Seun Sangha. And Kim Sung-woo, I guess, is the editor, right? He's, I think, he's done some editing, but he's also the lead writer of the project. But this is a, there's many, many cooks in this, in this broth. Gotcha. Not ruined, though. I think we've got time for one more or so. Yes, I'll bring in one Korean language recommendation. As I mentioned, many books in Korean are being written about Seoul right now by an even wider range of architects, urbanists, academics, and so on. The one I chose is called 그래도 나는 서울이 좋다, which we translate as even so, I like Seoul, or mm. I, I, like, I like Seoul even though, it doesn't mention even though what, but I like Seoul anyway, perhaps. The author's name is Oh Young-uk. He's an architect here in Seoul, well known for being married to a famous uh, TV star, but uh, those of us who are into Korean urbanism know his work as well. He's done a book a little bit like the first book we talked about on Seoul's historic walks and sketches, because mm. it's not just text. There's some poetry in here, too, oh, as well. Yeah. It's full of illustrations, and they're very comic in some sense. And those are his illustrations? Those are his illustrations. He enjoys drawing the city as well as a way of seeing it. Mm-hmm. But he does all kinds of... He, he makes all these kinds of moves like he imagines a... He imagines a casino complex called Soul, Soul, Soul in Las Vegas. What would that be? The, it's not New York, New York. It's not, uh, what's the one that looks like Paris on the Vegas Strip? There's one of them that's modeled after Paris, but he's imagining... Mm, it's got a gigantic Eiffel Tower, <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. yeah, or a mini it'll, Eiffel Tower, depending on your perspective. It'll come back to me later, but he imagines what would the soul version of that be? Or he thinks of other, he thinks of ways to improve the city. I'll open up to a back page. Well, I'm interested in this whole coup d'etat kind of thing, you know. Yes. Even so, what's the mitigating factors in, in his even so? Yes, you know, I think a lot of, even soul enthusiasts are often surprised to, when they hear that you like the city, because they'll often carry... <laughs> With them an impression, though, that it's ugly, yeah. that it's not planned very well, that it's just a mishmash of this and that, uh, that it's hard to see. It's yeah. hard to even identify what's interesting about it, uh, that it's just a collection of buildings and trains and cars. And, it's so interesting, and, yeah. yeah. Have you ever gotten that where, where people say, are you going to live in Seoul for a, a while to come? And you go, yeah, I think so. And they go... Really? Yeah, so really. Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> don't you want to? Don't you want to live in Paris? Don't you want to live in London, right. New York? Yeah. And those cities all have things to recommend them, but this is a, the book has a kind of narrative you'll hear from many a Korean architect, for example. Usually, they train abroad. They go somewhere else to America or Europe to study architecture to even begin practicing. And in his case, he went to Barcelona, and he came back from Barcelona, and he found he was seeing Seoul, his hometown, I believe. 
as a traveler. He was living as a traveler. Mm. And this is the perspective he advocates throughout this book. Seeing a soul as if you were visiting soul, not getting too used to it, because I think that's part of the issue. A soulite, especially one born here, they... They just, they just can't see it. They stop being able to see it. They go blind to it. And though they may appreciate soul on an internal level, they stop appreciating it on a, on a surface level. They just see, and again, a bunch of well, great buildings. they lose their wonder, don't they? This is, yes. this is human nature. It happens to all of us. Whatever city you live in, you tend to you know, dig a trench between work and home, and you're in your little rut, and you, you, know, you do your little path. Very seldom do you, you know, break out of your your pattern, especially if you're you know in kind of a family routine and whatnot. Um, so to break a pattern, to leave and come back, that's sort of uh, the whole reason people travel in the first place is to have their eyes open for when they come back home. Indeed, and in writing this book, Oyonguk, with his drawing and his writing all together, and the jokes he'll often make at Soul's expense, he and the, the ways he imagines its future, he keeps himself. He, he tries to retain his traveler's perspective. He tries to mm-hmm. stay as a traveler in the city he now lives in again. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an interesting selection there. You said the first three are available in English or mixed English and Korean. Exactly. The final one has not been uh, translated, I, I take it, yet. The Kuredo Nanan Sauli Chota. I haven't heard of a translation, no. The question that we have to go out on today is when is the Colin Marshall book coming? <laughs> and what, what will that book be? Oh, it's brewing in my head. I mean, I've got... it's every All the writing I do, you can sort of vaguely connect to cities, but it's all connecting to a central core. And the more I experience soul, the more I feel like I'm, I'm getting a handle on what shape it might take. Got but, a working title? Uh, not yet, no. I, the I, crux of it will be what? I mean... Well, what... Let's think of it this way. What writing don't you see in English on soul? Most kinds of writing, but... As I highlighted in these books, the things I appreciate about them are they often take a personal perspective or are very well informed about the urbanism of the city. You know, can you combine those? Can you have a personal perspective on a city while also understanding the city? Hmm. And can you use the writing of a book as a way to understand it better yourself? These Uh, are some of my goals. Is it is the book writing itself the learning process or is it the fruit of a learning process? There's a writer named Jeff Dyer I like. He's English. He lives in Los Angeles now. I've interviewed him a few times. He's written about a variety of subjects, jazz, World War I, uh, London in the 1980s, photography. He says, I write a book. When I get to the end, I know enough to write a book. That's the goal. You write the book to be able to write a book. But then you wrote the book and you move on to something else. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a fake it till you make it mentality. Exactly. I learn by doing. Every writer is faking it till they make it in some way. We have to admit so so are we all. All right. Well, get back to your typewriter because, or your word processor or your smartphone or whatever you kids write on nowadays because I'd be very interested to read the Colin Marshall volume on Soul one day. Maybe it'll be a compare-contrast with L.A., your other beloved city. And another book project I have in the, in the hopper. <laughs> you know, I've written a lot of hypothetical books as well. You <laughs> might say I'm one of the most prolific hypothetical authors who haven't published. Celebrated hypothetical That's author. right. That's right. And I'm ready to accept the world. Acclaim. Colin, thank you very much for coming in. I'll see you again soon. Thank you very much. See you soon.